This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show, the award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thank you for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and today, once again, joining us is Sean O'Toole, CEO and founder of Property Radar. Hope you enjoyed part one of our interview last week where we talked about how a special gift from his parents at age 10 led to Sean's early entrepreneurial spirit that would evolve into the great company he leads today. And I hope you enjoy part two. So yeah, before I actually started Foreclosure Radar, we were tracking all of the foreclosures just for my own business. I I made a million bucks on a uh, commercial deal. And I said, well, heck with these residential deals, I'm going to track commercial deals. There weren't very many. So I started tracking more and more foreclosures and tracked all of California looking for another million dollar commercial deal. Right. Million dollars profit commercial deal. Never found one. That that did lead me to tracking a lot of foreclosures. Even in 2006, we started to see the numbers go up so rapidly that the first half of well, the first few months of 2006, I was getting rid of the rest of my inventory. And then I was, as I was watching these numbers just skyrocket because I kept collecting the data, even though I decided I wasn't going to buy. I just felt there was value there. And I had employees doing it for me that I didn't want to fire. And so I kept collecting the data and, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the market's fine. So just kept collecting. I got concerned or I got to the point where I thought that this was going to be some sort of systemic event. And I actually wanted to do like a big short. Like I wanted to put a a million bucks against New Century, Countrywide, and a handful of these other companies that I was just seeing their uh, foreclosures explode. Mm Mm-hmm. And nobody was talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, boy, and their stocks were high. And I'm just like, when this blows up, right, there's there's a huge opportunity here. A broker friend of mine, who's a top broker, <laughs> um, actually met with, uh, I think, met with a couple of these folks and, and ended up talking me out of it and said, hey, these guys are hedged. They know about the problem. It's not going to create any problems for their business. There are going to be a bunch of foreclosures, but it's all well within their kind of operating parameters and, yeah, their and they're models. taking steps to deal with it. So, yeah, otherwise I'd be sitting on a private island kite surfing right now if I'd made that bet and I would have been in that uh, big short movie instead of the other guy or maybe both <laughs> of us. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, what, um, what you did really, uh, what you did with what you knew, and it's interesting, you did it after you were – uh, you stopped being a buyer at the trustee sales. You really revolutionized the access to the data because prior to that, that was the 40 thieves. And, and sometimes in some counties, it was five. It was a very small group of people that pay a lot of money for the information. And the information wasn't always the best information. So honestly, when you came out with foreclosure radar and the process that you had and the accuracy it had, it really changed the game and allowed a lot of people to participate. Yeah, just coming from a computer background, I took a very different approach to it, right? I just, and this this was true when I was doing the business too, right? I, I automated a lot of my title research. I built a database on each property. You know, we'd probably look at 50 properties for every one we would buy. Right. 
You know, that's just kind of the nature of trustee sales. Like that's one of the things people don't get. Like it takes, you have to be really efficient. And I said, well, geez, I can use my computer skills to be really efficient and I can do this better than the other guys. You know, and that's really what that came out of was that those years of experience. I always joke with my friends in Silicon Valley that the smartest thing I ever did was leave Silicon Valley and actually go get real world experience. Mm-hmm. and solve my own problems rather than somebody else's. We subscribe to it. And at the time, uh, prior to that, we were probably paying 20 times for less accurate information. So yeah. uh, unfortunately, it turned out there was 100 people at the sales instead of five. But that- Yeah, no, not everybody was happy with me for sure. I had one, I had one customer offer me a million dollars to turn the service off in one county for one year. Oh, wow. And it was just a couple of weeks after I'd signed my deal with the California Association of Realtors mm-hmm. saying we would provide access for the whole state. Right. And so there was really no way I could even entertain it. That guy thought it would be a profitable million dollars to spend if you would just stop telling people what, what is out there. That's pretty funny. So you had, I mean, foreclosures obviously exploded and then it went through a natural process where they started to deplete and very wise move to go, not, not that you've eliminated following foreclosures, but you also changed uh, from foreclosure radar to property radar because now there were lots of other games in town to play for as investors or agents and having access to all that information was a really big deal. Yeah, it was kind of, you know, my original vision, because again, you know, when I first started foreclosure radar, there was like, 40 guys buying foreclosures. Yeah. I said, well, you know what? This is going to be my first module, right? And what I want to do is I want to build a Bloomberg terminal for real estate and try to do for the real estate market what Bloomberg and others did for stocks and bonds and commodities, where you get this, you know, near real-time information on those markets. We're still nowhere close. Like, I mean, I think we're doing a great job with public records, but in terms of that big vision, right, there's a long way to go in real estate. We still, the markets still rely on these indexes that, you know, kind of run weeks to months behind. And especially with COVID right now, right, it's been hard to get data out of the county recorder's office. That's really, you know, one of the core problems is just how antiquated that whole process and system is. When I went to property radar, it was just kind of going back to that original mission, kind of more around being a property information service which is not really where we ended up now. It, you said it's not where you ended up now? I mean, we're still definitely in the foreclosure business, right. right? We're still definitely in the property information business. But most of our customers today... Aaron has shared some of this with me, and, I, and my light bulb went on, honestly. I have a really good idea, you know, because of the data that you are, are going to be able to provide, let's say, in Florida. I mean, I'm going to create a really cool niche, and I'll be able to dive down and find um, a very specific client that I'm excited about. I kind of can't wait to, to experiment with it. Awesome. I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that is, you know, I never expected I'd end up being a marketing uh, service, but uh, you know, we're still doing all the rest, but again, that, that is where the majority of our business is today and it's folks are doing really well with it. What, what's interesting about both of us is that we have looked beyond where we are to figure out what's coming in advance. And so when you left the foreclosure business, you know, I had written the California crash and I don't think we even knew each other at the time. So I'm looking at a set right. of charts and you're looking at a set of experiences 
uh, you know, like when you sold the property and the people were getting a loan, there's no way they should ever get. And so we left the building early and saved our capital. Uh, a number of years ago, I sent you an email telling you I was going to write something about a 2% mortgage rate coming. And I, do you think I'm absolutely nuts? Doesn't mean I wasn't going to do it, but I wanted it to run it by you. And then you had actually said, yeah, I think that that's coming and kind of used the J Japan model. So I wanted to lead into who do you pay attention to as far <laughs> as, you know, uh, information wise, you know, is there like Ray Dalio has been an interesting addition to me because I, I'm enthralled with he has gone back 500 years to find patterns. I'm still, you know, I have to read everything he writes three times just to get it. But I also respect his process. He's humble enough to go, you know what? I'm not going to, on my own, come to the best conclusions. And so he has like a, he, uh, an idea meritocracy. That's his word to where he's got the brightest people and they're all free to uh, give their opinion and bat it around. The only goal was to come up with the best idea. So I have a lot of respect for that process. And you and I, you know, sometimes we've disagreed, but because we respect both of our processes and our intent, it makes it much easier to listen to something that you were sure you knew and have somebody you respect say, I don't think it's right. So... I guess I yeah I wanted to know who who do you pay attention to who do you who do you read or listen to to think about am I uh, needing to make some corrections of what I thought was true you know I say it's kind of constantly somebody new right like I'm always looking for those voices of clarity and sanity but you usually unfortunately folks usually end up having a shtick you know yes like. They, you know, it's just, it's hard. Like we all are a product of our upbringing, lots of things, right? And we're seeing that play out on a very big scale right now, I think. When I first came across Ray Dalio, like that was super interesting stuff and it kind of added to my catalog. And I will definitely still pay attention to him when he comes up, you know, when he has something new. Eric Jansen uh, was really, uh, I Tulip was really uh, interesting to me back in 2008. Yeah. You know, I think there were some things that he helped me out with a ton. I think there's some things that, you know, in hindsight, I think he didn't get the fundamentals wrong. And I think one of the things that's so hard, right? Economics is a bachelor of arts. It's not a bachelor of science. And I think for good reason, right? There are so many factors that to look at everything we can possibly look at in a day and try to say, oh, this is what's going to happen. There's no way we can take in all of the inputs and really consider everything, right? So I'm a big believer that history actually doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes, Right. Um, which isn't my quote. Um, I think that Eric had that, but I think it actually maybe comes from somebody else. It, it did, yeah. I believe that. So I think that there's a lot of lessons in history, but I don't think we'll see, you know, those same things going forward, right? There'll be things that, that into it. And this is where I, I hear a lot of what Ray Dalio is saying. You know, he's basically saying that we're very close to a change of world order yeah. with the U.S., yeah. you know, falling by the wayside, losing our reserve currency, which has just huge disruption, you know, written all over it, and China coming up to take our place. Yeah. And I see a lot of signs that that could definitely happen. I also don't know that um, I'm as convinced that it's as soon as he seems to be at least alluding to. He hasn't said 
anything particularly. Like most of us that give our opinions about oh, what's in happening in the rest, we're pretty good about using probably and likely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think one of lots the, of little. Uh, I think because of yeah, his historical point of view, what he is saying is that with regularity, a a reserve currency lo- loses its reserve currency status eventually. So that's. That is well, not only that, and he says it starts with a decline in education, yeah, right? Yeah. And it kind of ends with a people that are fighting amongst themselves, yes. which is definitely where we're at, right? Yeah. Like that is the pattern that happens, right? So, and the other side of that pattern, right, is as they start to focus on education and investment and those kind, you know, those things, right? Economies rise. China has been very aggressively focused on education and investment and, and those things where, you know, frankly, we're getting a little fat and happy. We're bickering about stuff that we shouldn't be bickering about. Yeah, I completely agree. I had an experience uh, after 9-11 where I went to the first baseball game that was in Anaheim Stadium after 9-11. There was, um, you know, a crowd of maybe 35, 40,000 people and I, you know, national anthem was going to be sung and everybody dutifully stood. And for the first time in my life, I watched 40,000 Americans sing. It was moving because I looked around and I realized we all got it. At least at that moment, we got it. We were the same. And it was touching, you know, and I, you know, if, uh, I wish we could kind of return to that. And as you know, at the I Survived event, every time I end the, the meeting saying I what I wish for is that every politician, instead of being a Democrat or Republican for the next four years, would be an American first. And that would solve a lot of stuff. It really would. Yeah, no kidding. I was going to mention. I think we're just, we've got to get to a three-party system, right? You get a two-party system, and it just naturally leads to them going farther and farther in opposite directions. You get three parties. You have the ability to find agreement on things. Yeah. And the best ideas of a party will get glommed on to by another party without it being a, a, we believe this, you believe that, so therefore we can't agree thing. Yeah. You know what was interesting, and I guess we're, we're pretty closing, close to running out of time. Oh, we have five minutes. Okay. Um, I walked around the library one, not, not library, bookstore, there's actually still one in Riverside, so I walked around it, and it had all kinds of title headings, and for I, I just felt like uh, I wrote them all down, and I did that because I wanted to I wanted to think about of which of those titles could I actually write a book on that would be of benefit to my fellow citizen. Pretty humbling experience. It was one. Yeah. It was one. What it told me is that I, I'm really reliant on others' honor and ability to conclude some things. So, you know, when I listen to some people that are historians, it dawns on me, I am never going to get there. I'm never going to go, which, you know, whatever you studied, that's like somebody I really respect that's uh, come to conclusions that I can, I can relate to, too. Um, just realize I'm, I'm kind of reliant on your being honest and, and, and when you're writing that book and there's, you know, there's just one category that I'd say that I feel like I could write that the more and more I know, the more humble I get about what I don't. Yeah. What's the great quote? Like the wisest men realize how little they know. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, or, you know, or even that they know nothing. (laughs) I'm attracted to that. Um, that scholar, there's no doubt about it. You know, yeah. there, when I listen to people 
And I think, oh, my, you know, they know more than I'll ever know. And then they come out with, you know, I'm telling you what I've concluded thus far. There's still for more from, you know, and I really appreciate that because to me, that's, uh, that's a guy that's got my attention. I really don't like experts that basically study something for three weeks and that they got it. You're going, oh, no. I got it. Yeah. Oh, no. So. You know, there's 500 hours of new video uploaded to YouTube every minute. Oh, my gosh. So there is more video uploaded to YouTube than you could watch a day than you could probably watch in a life or than for sure than you could watch in your entire life. Right. So, and I think, I think that's actually a real core bit of our collective anxiety at this point. I think our parents probably thought that they had a pretty good grasp of what was going on in the world, right? Because there was only three news shows. Maybe you liked ABC versus NBC versus CBS, but Right. They all pretty much kind of said the same thing. And we all kind of had that same shared perspective. Mm -hmm. And now with so many voices and so many perspectives and things like QAnon and other things like that, right? Like the disparity of our individual views is growing so quickly. I had a really interesting encounter in a uh, taxi cab in China. The driver spoke very good English and was super friendly and like, I didn't even know if I could like ask this question without like the secret police coming out and grabbing me, right? Like I said, so are, are you aware of censorship? Are you aware that there's a lot of things out there in the world that you don't get to see? And he laughed and he's like, he said, he's like, we're not morons, right? We all know how to use a VPN. We can look at whatever we want to look at. And I went, oh my God, like that was revelatory to me. Like I didn't think that that was possible. This is a taxi driver too, not like an executive or, you know, something else. And I said, you know, it's not a problem for you. And he said, he goes, no, he goes, it's great that the state controls what we see because it keeps dissent down and we're happy and we're all pulling in the same boat and direction. Mm. And I was like, Okay, I'm not I'm not saying I buy into censorship at all, but it was like that was a really unique, interesting perspective to say, yep, we know there's censors censorship, but we wanna win as people and we wanna do well and therefore tamping down the dissenting voices so that we can all row in the same direction will make us more competitive and allow us to beat you. That's what I heard. Okay. And I don't think they're wrong. Yeah, it's a big price to pay, but it was a great question. Yeah, I'm not saying we should pay it either. No, I'm just no, saying no. that, you know, if you've got an enemy all rowing the boat in the same direction yeah. and you're not, that's yeah. a problem. Well, I guess that's why I go back to that that one moment where we were all singing the national anthem. I thought, okay, we we know we have that capacity and we're really right. and we're really great when we do it. And man, I don't know what the event is that's going to say we're back in that boat and we're gonna sing together. But I hope we get there. I really do. And I think we need to, for sure. And I hope it's a positive event that gets us there, not a negative one. Because <laughs> there are really bad things that could get us there. But I hope it's not through that. Yeah. Hope we find that place sooner. So, last question. So what's, uh, what's the journey for Property Radar look for for the rest of the year? You're, you're in what states now and planning on going to 
to a national level at what point? Yep, we're in five states, Arizona, Nevada, California, Washington, Oregon right now. All hands are on deck right now, pushing for getting us national. Um, you know, we've been ingesting, refining uh, data for almost two years. This is a place where we're very different than other companies because most companies just load the data and resell it. We do a lot of work and I think that's one of our core differentiators. It's been hard. Uh, we are close. I expect uh, we'll open a beta up to a selected group of folks in just the next few weeks. And then we should be uh, national in the next couple of months. Aaron's excited about being a part of it. He really is. That's, that's very cool. Yeah, thank you for, uh, <laughs> for, for letting him come hang out with us. It's well, been awesome. Do you know the uh, you know the the show The Prophet? I don't. Oh, you got to be kidding! Well, that's basically you got to watch that show. There's a guy named Lamonis. I watch almost no TV. Okay, well, this one's worth watching because he okay he literally is a business genius, and he goes around and he basically becomes part owner of a business that he has no intentions of being there. But he's probably the most important person because he changes the processes to successful business. Uh, you know, he takes a, it. It doesn't matter what he is. Camper, camping world, as you know, that giant American flag. That's that's Lamonis. You know, yeah. He's, he, yeah, that's him. So he gets. Yeah. He goes into businesses and and that analyzes them and say, okay, if you want me to par be part of it, I have to have 100 percent control. I'm going to put this much money up. To be honest with you, that. I, when I, Aaron and I first talked about, because I always wanted, I always thought, you know what, you and Sean would be a pretty cool team. I really always thought that. And when it came, when it came up, I said, I think, I think that you should do that because to our business, you have already been Lamonis. You've been the prophet. You have set all the things in place that you don't have to be here 40 hours a week. You don't. It was pretty cool that I was able to watch that show and see that I I had my Lamonis in Aaron, who was able to set the Norris Group up so we look like Goldman and Sachs, and he can still do that for for very very few you know hours, which is pretty cool. So so I'm just I'm excited that he gets to be part of what you're up to. And I think he'll enhance the result for your company, no doubt about it. No, for sure. Lots of uh, lots of great conversations going on. He's just uh, he's just such a great ball of energy and light, and uh, yeah. yeah, and tons of knowledge and experience too. So we love having him. Yeah, he's a team builder. My my favorite thing is whenever I used to go where he was known and I was not, and then they go, <laughs> "Oh, you're Aaron's dad. Oh my God, we love him." That's just the best. <laughs> That's just the best. All right, Sean. Hey, thanks for taking an hour and being with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Great. Always chatting. Thanks, okay. Bruce. Okay. We'll see you soon. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669.
For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.